0: Hey folks, welcome to the Whitetail Guru Hunting Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Unger, and this is episode 41, and today on the show we are joined by Kip Adams, who is the Director of Conservation for the Quality Deer Management Association. So you guys know that we've had many guests from QDMA on before, um, but this is first time that we've had uh, Kip Adams on, and today we are talking about um, EHD and CWD, the two uh i guess quote-unquote famous diseases that are across the whitetail range right now and we're going to take a deep dive into each of those and how they are different and what hunters can do to um basically help prevent the spread of those so we're gonna talk about all that and more with kip on the show today But first, if you guys haven't gone over to our Facebook page or Instagram and given us a follow or a like, we'd really appreciate it if you guys do that. Hunting season here in Georgia is in full swing, and we are posting updates onto those um, about every other day, if not daily. So um, I was able to go out and do some archery hunting this past weekend. Kind of funny story, I did some public land hunting, and Went and kind of did an observation sit, scout type thing, scout on my way in, and as I was leaving, I was picking out a spot for the next time I would come in, and uh, about a week later, I went in and went to the spot where I was going to hunt, and there were no more trees because they had all been logged, so um yeah so that was the first week of archery hunting for me so I had to go with the backup plan but nonetheless it was good to be out there in the woods I hope you guys are excited and getting ready to um just kick off your season if you have not already but um before we get started I just want to mention real quick about Butcher um they provide three great staples to their um, their customer service and its convenience, quality, and value. And by partnering with a collective of small farms, they're able to deliver you the best products for less than $6 per meal, which is pretty awesome. And right now, if you sign up um, for a ButcherBox uh, subscription, you will receive two pounds of free ground beef in every box. So that's hard to beat. Um, And you can um, accompany that with your ground venison or um, your back straps or however you like to cook your venison. So um, whatever that is for you, this is a great uh, thing to come alongside and um, to... To eat with that. So, anyways, without further ado, I'm rambling. Um, This is a great episode with uh, Kip Adams. Man, I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you stay in there for the whole thing because it is a wealth of information. Um, It's very educational, very helpful. uh, What to do, what not to do, um, those kind of things. But uh, as We kick off another deer season, Um, we just hope and cross our fingers and pray that CWD does not spread any more than it already has. So um, anyways, let's kick off this interview with Kip Adams, we hope you guys enjoy. All right, on the line with me now, I have Kip Adams. Kip, welcome to the show, how you doing today?
1: I'm doing well Nathan thank you for having me
0: yeah absolutely I'm definitely glad that we could uh find a time to to make this work and um, I know that uh in parts of the uh United States deer season has already commenced and in others it is uh <laughs> about to here in the next couple of weeks so um but with that um we have a lot of uh disease still um still happening. And so we're going to dive into that much deeper here in the episode. But uh, for the audience that um, may not be familiar with who you are and what you do, can you kind of just give us the lowdown um, on your role with QDMA?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm QDMA's Director of Conservation. So I oversee our REACH program, which, which stands for Research, Educate, Advocate, Certify, and Hunt. So, uh, I, I like to say that I have the best job at QDMA because I have my hand in, in a little bit of all the cool stuff that we do, but, uh, I'm, I'm from Northern Pennsylvania and actually I work out of Pennsylvania. So, uh, I'm in one of those states that you just mentioned that is still waiting for archery season. So, uh, I got a lot of friends out across the country, uh, sending me pictures of deer that they're shooting and the pictures of deer, they are actually hunting and, uh, I still have, uh, about a week and a half before uh, ours kicks off. So, uh, I'm, uh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm ready to go and, uh. I'm uh, looking forward to to, to get in the deer stand myself.
0: Right, and uh, I I know for us down here in Georgia, it is still blazing hot. Um, it's I think anywhere from ninety two to ninety five degrees, and we have not had an ounce of rain in probably the last two weeks, and um, we haven't had much rain at all over the last several months. And so, with that, um, obviously comes um, just different. Uh, outbreaks, uh, specifically EHD. So um, I just let's just jump right in. Can you kind of tell the listeners a little bit about um, hemorrhagic disease and um, if maybe they're seeing dead deer on or around their properties um, that this might be the case? Not guaranteed that it's the case, but it very well could be the case.
1: Sure. Um, EHD uh, stands for epizootic hemorrhagic disease uh, a lot of times we just refer to it as hemorrhagic disease or hd um, some hunters call it blue tongue and uh it's actually blue tongue and ehd are, are very similar they're both viral diseases carried by biting midges or what we commonly refer to as no seams and uh, the symptoms are so similar that those two diseases usually just get uh, added together and just collectively referred to as hemorrhagic disease so uh Hemorrhagic disease is one of the most common diseases of whitetail deer. And uh, it happens somewhere in the whitetails range every year. Um, But what we've been seeing is in the last uh, decade or so, the disease has been moving a lot farther north. Um, Historically, it was was referred to as a a disease of southeast deer. And uh, when I was doing my undergraduate work at Penn State back in uh, the late 80s and early 1990s, when we learned about it, we literally learned that, hey, this is a disease in the southeast you know, deer get it there. Uh, we've never had it in Pennsylvania and, uh, we kind of moved on. That was it. That's all we learned. Uh, today the this scene is very different. The disease, uh, you know, is all the way up the East coast clear into Ontario. It's across the, the, the West, you know, all the way through Montana. So, uh, lots and lots of deer today are exposed to, to hemorrhagic disease that, that weren't necessarily, uh, in the, the not too distant past, but, uh, The thing that is good about the disease is not all deer that get it will die. Some survive. Uh, The ones that do survive, they actually will pass immunity on uh, to if it's a doe, to her fawns, or if they are exposed to that same strain again uh, within the next year or so, uh, they're able to fight it off. So from that perspective, uh, that's good from a deer's end.
0: For sure. This is
1: also the disease.
0: Go ahead. You can finish.
1: Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: I was just going to say what... I was just going to say, why, why is it that we are now seeing the disease move farther north? I know that um, historically in drier areas, um, that's where we've seen it. But now why are we seeing it move further north?
1: Yeah, more so to, because of climate change than anything else. Now the, the vectors that carry of carrier, those little noceums are just moving a lot farther north than, than they've been in the past. So that more than any other reason is exposing a lot of, a lot of new deer herds in the north. To hemorrhagic disease.
0: Okay. Yeah, for sure. And, um, it it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting that, that, uh, now I guess would, would we assume that, um, we're, you know, I'm not getting into a whole political thing right here, but is it, are we, is it safe to assume that some of those Northern, um, states and even provinces in Canada, are they just not experiencing as harsh of winters for longer periods of times to kill off, these noceums or um does it kind of just vary year to year depending on what the the season's hold
1: yeah it really varies year to year and uh, essentially what it's doing is just allowing the noceums to move from the south you know farther north um the new england states um uh, still have never uh confirmed any cases of hemorrhagic disease so uh, they still don't have have uh, the midges that's why but okay. uh you know places like Pennsylvania routinely get it now. Minnesota is having a pretty bad hemorrhagic disease year this year uh, for the first time ever. So uh, we're just seeing those midges move farther north, and uh, and, and and deer dying uh, in many places because of it.
0: So is it too early to tell um, kind of the outbreak that we are seeing, um, I guess, on, on a mass scale for 2019 compared to other years? Um, like how would 2019 so far compare to, say, maybe the, the outbreak of 2012 or even 2007? What, what is it looking like right now? Uh,
1: nowhere near as bad as is either 2007 or 2012 uh, those were both uh, listed as, you know, 100-year uh, disease outbreaks and um, tens of thousands of deer dying in both of those years. So the nice thing about this year is uh, the first cases weren't uh, talked about until pretty late in the summer. And with hemorrhagic disease, because it is carried by those uh, the noceums, um as soon as we get a couple of frosts, the disease is done for the year. So this is typically a disease we hear about during the summer and often toward the end of the summer where you start finding deer dead you know, in and around water sources. So the fact that we didn't see it early and um, we're still just seeing it in a limited number of states lets us know uh, where you are seeing it. You may be losing a few deer there, but overall, uh, this year has thus far, anyway, been nowhere nearly as bad as either 2007 or 2012.
0: Okay, yeah, that's, that's good news, obviously. Um, I know that there's been some the states that you already mentioned, in addition to some Midwestern states, there seems to be, um, a decent outbreak there. And maybe it could be that just social media is a little bit more prevalent now than it was in 2007, um, for sure. Um, and maybe, you know, a little bit more than 2012, but, um, I, I remember, I, so I was reading, um, an article last night on QDMA.com. In fact, about how um, it was either 2007 or 2012 where they were still identifying deer with hem- hemorrhagic disease even into December that year, which is just crazy um, to think about um, in different parts of the country. So um, it's definitely um, good news that it's the outbreak is not as bad, but I imagine as the summer goes on, um, and rain is uh, few and far between that we'll kind of get a grasp on just the magnitude, um, or lack thereof, of hemorrhagic disease across the country. So, um, and like you said, it, it is spread by, by the midge. Um, and it's, um, is there, let me ask you this, is there anything we as hunters can do or as land managers can do to, I guess, help the deer populations in our area not get the disease, or is there nothing we can do?
1: There's not a lot we can do. Um, There's no vaccine for hemorrhagic disease, Uh, there's no cure for it. Uh, But we do know that the the midges, the carrier, the perfect breeding grounds for the midges are in those mud flat areas around water sources. So that's why one of the reasons we often see this worse in drought years, because as those ponds dry up, you have those exposed mud flats that are perfect breeding grounds. And once deer get this, they develop fevers. So they often gravitate to water sources. So they are moving to these areas where there are a lot of midges anyway. So it just makes it more easy for the midges then to transfer this disease from deer to deer to deer. So, uh, one of the things that we can do from a, from a habitat standpoint is we can try to make it such that we don't have all those exposed mud flats around ponds. The better job if we have a water source to keep it vegetated all the way up to the edge or even down into the water can help. Um, and cattle country, um, not allowing cat or cattle to have access to ponds, you know, to be able to walk in and, and keep that permanent mud uh, source there. Um, if we don't allow that, that can certainly help from the mid end. So uh, there are a few things we can do, but large scale, you know, there's there's not a vaccine or or anything that we can really do across a broad section of the landscape.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, so we know that it is more prevalent when we're in drought years now i've heard a theory from somebody else and uh, i'd like to get your thoughts on this what about years where we have an overabundance of rain where the opposite is true is it also um, does that lead to um maybe a higher uh spike in hd as well or is that is that not necessarily the case uh,
1: that that has not been shown to be the case and uh, what the okay. researchers on this have shown is that Deer in the the southern U.S., the extreme south, um, they don't seem to be any more susceptible or less susceptible during drought years. However, once you get out of the south, midwest, and the north, those deer are far more susceptible during drought years uh, to the point that we almost can predict how bad a year will be for hemorrhagic disease based strictly off drought charts. So, uh, And I think it has partly to do with those deer just being a little more naive to the disease. They just haven't been exposed to it as long. So uh, so if you are in the deep south, yeah, the drought year doesn't really help you. But outside of that, we really can bank on some having some, some outbreaks of hemorrhagic disease in areas that we have a drought. And we, we can anticipate that happening long before the first deer starts dying from it.
0: Right. That makes sense. So is uh, are whitetails, do they develop any type of um, immunity or resistance to HD at all? Has that been researched or proven in any way?
1: Yep. It has. Uh, there's several different strains of the virus. Um, and the one that they are attacked with, if they survive, they develop immunity to that specific strain. So it doesn't help them if they get hit by a different strain. The next year, uh, it's kind of like you or me, you know, if people get the flu shot. You know, if if they the flu attacks them, that is that specific strain that they got shot for, it helps. But, you know, they can still get the flu because there's so many strains. It's kind of the same thing with hemorrhagic disease in deer. But uh, at least there is some immunity to that the specific strain, which which certainly helps deer. And, and as hunters, if you've ever shot a deer that you can see the hooves uh, have been like sloughing off or there's, you know, growth interruptions in those hooves that is a deer that survived hemorrhagic disease the year before so uh, so it's pretty evident in these areas to be able to see a deer that we do know yep it had it it has survived and uh, you know lived uh, to, to make it to another hunting season
0: right yeah that's a good point um and I, I i i forget that a lot i have read about that before but um too many times you know after a deer harvest we just you know process clean it up process it And uh, or take it to the processor and we don't um, often look at the hooves to see if if that is indeed the case that they have survived HD. So um, and I guess another thing to point out is that, like you have already mentioned, um, EHD or blue tongue, whatever the specific virus is, is that um, it is for the most part seasonal and happens on a season by season basis. And um, another disease that we're going to dive into, CWD, is not necessarily um, is and is in fact not the case. Um, so at least for the hunter, when it comes to EHD, there uh, for the most part is an end in sight. Like you said, when the frost comes, those midges die, and um, the 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 herd is um, able to recover. So, um, but let's talk about chronic wasting disease. Um, it's not something that's always a you know, bright and shiny and happy-go-lucky topic. But at the same time, it does need to be talked about because I feel like the more that we can um, educate the uh, general hunting public, um, the more um, we can help prevent the spread of this disease. So can you just give us a, an overview of chronic wasting disease and we'll just dive in from there?
1: Sure. Uh, CWD is, is very different from hemorrhagic disease. So. CWD, uh, in, in QDMA's opinion, is one of the biggest issues impacting deer hunting today, and will be for a long time in the future. Uh, things that hunters need to know about it: as a uh, CWD has no cure, uh, no vaccine. Uh, it's 100% fatal to all deer. So every deer that gets it is going to die. Um, research has also shown that CWD deer, positive deer, die at two to four times the rate uh, of deer that don't have it uh, in any given year. And uh, you and I can talk more about that. But uh, also research has shown that CWD positive deer are less active than than deer that don't have it. So, you know, this is a big wake up call from the hunting end because nobody ever went hunting and said, man, I hope deer are not active today. I hope that they are just bedded and not moving. You know, uh, as hunters, that would be the last thing we would say. We want deer on the feet. We want them moving. And uh, that just simply is not the case uh, with CWD. Those deer are less active. So that's not good for hunters at all.
0: No doubt. And, um, you know, so you bring up a good point. And I guess um, I know that you kind of talked about some of the side effects of why um, hunters aren't hunting, whether it's because of... um, maybe the meat or inactivity of deer. But is there any research, I know you guys, when you release the whitetail report every year, um, at least last several years, CWD has been a large portion of that. Are we seeing any indication that hunters are just not hunting because of CWD itself? Forget the, the other factors as far as deer not moving or deer populations being less. Are we seeing deer hunters saying, hey, I'm not hunting anymore because I don't wanna have to deal with CWD?
1: We're seeing some of that. Um, there's a lot of talk with that where hunters will just say, well, to heck with it. Then I just won't hunt. Um, the data is not really uh, supporting that yet. Most hunters are still hunting. Um, the ones that were losing tended to be some of the more casual hunters anyway that, yeah, you know what? It didn't really matter to them if they went out or not. So uh, it's kind of an easy out to say, well, this is just one more thing impacting us. I'm going to stop. Um, so we, we are seeing some hunters uh, fall out but for the most part we have not seen that at all yet in fact there are still a lot of hunters that just refuse to to believe that, that cwd is a big issue or is a serious issue or has, has the potential to have big ramifications on the deer herds that they hunt today
0: right yes yeah, so there's uh, definitely very much people who are in denial of it and um, who think it you know, conspiracy theory, whatever, you know, whatever you want to deem it. Um, There are people who just don't believe that it's an issue. But in fact, it is an issue. And it's starting to creep even further east uh, than it has. And so the thing about CWD is that it's been around for decades, if not longer. And um, so I guess my question is, has CWD, has it accelerated over the last couple of decades as far as moving east? What What, are, what is the research showing on that?
1: Oh, it absolutely has. Uh, you know, CWD was first identified in, in Colorado back in 1967. So through the, the 70s and the 80s and even 90s, you know, it was in a handful of states uh, in the west, uh, but all those states had low densities of deer and elk, um, not a lot of hunters, So uh, the disease did not move real quickly through many states. Um, However, since the early 2000s, when it jumped uh, the Mississippi River and ended up in Wisconsin, or at least was confirmed in Wisconsin, since that point, um, it has escalated rapidly. Um, It's now in 26 states, so uh, over half of the states in the U.S., and and continues to spread every year. So uh, between us uh, moving live animals around, uh, moving uh, the high-risk parts of carcasses around, um, or this thing is spreading like crazy. And, uh, and as hunters, we absolutely need to slow the spread of that to, uh, to allow science to catch up and give us some way to beat this disease.
0: For sure. And we're going to definitely get into ways that we, as hunters can do that. But you mentioned, um, that, I, I think you said that deer are, are they dying like two to four times faster? You said, is that what you mentioned earlier?
1: That's, that's correct. Uh, all deer that get it are going to die. But CWD has a very long incubation period. And what that means is a deer can have it for uh, an average of 18 to 24 months before they start showing any symptoms. Uh, Once they start showing symptoms, they they go downhill very rapidly and essentially just waste away and die. So however, before they start showing symptoms, they appear very healthy. And this is why a lot of hunters, I think, fail to to recognize the severity of this because they say, man, this deer looks healthy. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it but there absolutely is something wrong because as those uh, diseases eat holes in that deer's brain, it is allowing it to not avoid predators as easily, you know, not avoid cars or hunters as easily. So that's what the research shows. Uh, And a deer right now that has CWD this year, even if it's not showing any signs, it is two to four times more likely to die, either to cars, predators, hunters, or other disease than a deer that doesn't have it. So that's the that's the scary part. And even if hunters don't want to, to believe the severity of it, you know, if you ask any of them, whether it's turkeys or, or ducks or bears or squirrels or elk or anything else you hunt you said, you know, hey, if a certain segment of that population is dying at two to four times the rate, you know, of another part, is that a bad thing? And every single one of them will tell you yes. Well, that's exactly the same thing that's happening with CWD uh, and it's happening right under our noses every day.
0: Right, and in fact, so I received my my Quality Whitetails magazine yesterday in the mail, and you did a really good article on um, I believe it was a hunter in Wisconsin who killed a really nice mature buck, and there's a picture of the buck. And if you just look at the buck, it doesn't look sick; it doesn't look like it would have any issues with it. And um, actually, I'm going to let you talk about that story because I, you you did the write up. I thought it was excellent, uh, but describe that. Th- that story in detail, if you don't mind.
1: Uh, sure. Um, you know, there's a picture of a deer, you know, and we asked, you know, does this deer look like it has CWD? And, you know, hunters will say, no, it appeared very healthy, you know, a nice buck, big animal. And uh, the hunter that shot it uh, had it tested and uh, it turned out it did test positive for CWD. So the the lesson there is, um, you know, the vast majority of deer that have the disease do not appear to have it because they get killed by something Before they ever start showing the symptoms, that's why hunters, you know, will say, "Well, why don't we find dead deer all over if this is a big deal?" Well, the reason is they get killed by something else first before they start showing the outward symptom. Inwardly, they're very sick, and they're, you know, they can't avoid predation as well. But outwardly, we just don't see it, and uh, so that's kind of the point of that article. uh, For several years, you know, many state wildlife agencies would show a picture of a deer that did show symptoms of CWD, emaciated and drooling and say, hey, this is what a CWD positive deer looks like. And uh, also inadvertently, we kind of taught hunters and the public to think that, hey, every CWD deer looks like this, when in reality they don't, you know, almost none of them do. So uh, I know of at least one state, uh, Wyoming Game and Fish, uh, no longer will show any pictures of a, of a very sick deer. And, uh, and at QDMA, we've done the same thing because we don't want to give hunters you know, the, uh, you know, the unrealistic expectation that that's what all CWD positive deer look like. So the vast majority of deer that have it appear completely normal. Now the only way to tell is to have that deer uh, tested uh, once you shot it or once it's died.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And, um, you know, people also need to wait for those results (laughs) before they eat the meat. And um, I'll I'll let you kind of talk on this a little bit. There's been uh, no uh, evidence, I guess, that it's jumped the species barrier. But tell us, I guess, tell somebody who just pretend like they came out of the rainforest they've been in for the last 10 years and have no idea about CWD and consuming meat. Can you just kind of give us um what QdMA recommends as far as that is concerned?
1: Sure we follow uh, the the advice from the, the World Health Organization as well as the Centers for Disease Control and uh, they both admit hey there has never been an instance where a human has contracted CWD that's that's a very very good thing. however, they both uh, recommend that you do not eat uh, an animal that does have CWD so if you harvest an animal in a zone that you know that you know does have the disease we strongly encourage you to have that animal tested uh, and then wait until you get a a satisfactory test result back before you eat it and uh, people have been eating CWD positive deer for a long time and fortunately uh, nobody seems to have contracted the disease but nobody wants to be the first and uh, as we learn more about this you know we know that uh, that there's just no reason to eat a deer that does have it Um, we work with uh, with some of the top prion uh, biologists or and researchers. You know, prions are the things that cause CWD uh, in the world, and uh, and what they tell us is, hey, you know, we haven't identified it in humans yet, partly because we don't know exactly what it would look like. Said so every time you have a prion disease in any given species, it looks a little bit different. So uh, if CWD was in humans, um, you know, it wouldn't necessarily look just like it does in deer or one of the other pre diseases. So, so yeah, so if you're in a zone, just get that deer tested, wait for the results first and uh, don't eat it until you get satisfactory results back. That That's what we uh, suggest to people. And that's personally what I follow by as well. Uh, if I travel to hunt and I know I'm in an area, that's exactly the, the recommendations uh, that I follow myself.
0: Right. And that involves, um, you know, hunters need to debone the meat. They need to, Um, you know, make sure everything's clean. Can you kind of uh, describe how CWD is passed from one deer to the next or passed from, you know, wherever it's coming from to deer so that people have in their mind an idea, okay, this is why we can't take, you know, bones and um, canines and stuff across state lines because it, it can hold CWD. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. Uh, there's a couple of different ways that, that deer can transfer this to other animals. And and that's one of the things that makes this very different from other prion diseases. Uh, you know, the version of this in cattle, you know, a cow can't give it to another cow unless you grind that cow up and feed it to the other one. But you can have, you know, a herd of 100 cows in a pasture. If one of them has this, the prion disease, uh, it can't give it to any of the others. That's very different with deer. Deer can give the CWD to other deer and they can do it through uh from live animals. We know that the prions are passed in saliva and urine and blood and feces. So uh, when animals come in contact with those substances from a deer that's had the disease or has it, then they can contract it. That's one of the reasons why some states have banned uh, the use of urine and, uh, and why some states ban uh, baiting or feeding because they don't want deer swapping saliva uh, at these bait sites. Um, We also know that the deer can give it to other animals um, even after the deer is dead. Uh, The prions accumulate in certain parts of the animal, those being uh, the brain, uh, the spleen, the lymph nodes, the tonsils, uh, the eyes, and the backbone. And that's why some states do not allow you to bring those high-risk parts of a deer carcass. Uh, You can't move them if you shoot a deer because... uh, you know, say you or I go to the, the CWD core area in Wisconsin, shoot a deer, you take that deer back to Georgia, I bring one back to Pennsylvania, we, you know, field dry, or we uh, cut our deer up, throw those high-risk parts out back, um, other animals that come in contact with those remains can then get CWD. Or research has also shown that just as uh, soil in and around where those carcass parts are um, can uptake the prions. And actually plants that are grown there can grab those prions from that carcass through the soil and have them in the plant tissue for other animals to come eat. So uh, so there's lots of ways that animals can literally transfer this disease to other deer. So that's why state wildlife agencies are being so cautious with regard to anything that, you know, movement of these high-risk parts or urine, etc. And uh, so they don't want to, this disease to move or spread anymore. Than, uh, than it is naturally just by normal deer movement,
0: right? Yep, yeah, that's a that's a very good point, and um, yeah, so just don't move don't move the bones, don't move the the carcass parts that um, are not the meat itself, right? So <laughs> plain and simple, just don't move it. Um, but now let me ask you this: Is there um, is CWD more prevalent in bucks or does, or can they um, receive I guess get CWD equally at the same, I guess, frequency or intensity.
1: Well, many states have found that uh, that there's a higher prevalence rate of CWD in uh, in older bucks. So, bucks uh, are more likely to have it than does, and older animals are more likely to have it than younger animals. So, as a general rule, that that holds pretty true. So, but what people need to realize is some will grab it and say. Man, well, if older bucks are more likely to have it, then we should be removing all bucks and not allowing them to get old. However, the reality of it is, in any given place on, you know, throughout the whitetails range, even though older bucks are more likely to have the disease than adult does, the number of CWD positive animals on the landscape will all, always be adult DOE's because they are far more numerous than older bucks. And because of their social order, how they interact, you know, a group of of animals um, often has, you know, grandmothers and mothers and aunts and sisters and siblings, you know, those doe groups are all kinds of related individuals. Research out of Wisconsin has shown that if an adult doe is CWD positive, I'm sorry, shows that an adult doe is 10 times more likely to be CWD positive if she has a CWD positive relative nearby. So what that means is you know, these doe groups are almost reservoirs for this disease. So from a, a deer management end, in my opinion, well, all of the talk that it just focuses on these bucks, you know, don't let bucks get older, kill these bucks, kill them. We are missing half of the boat here because the largest number of CWD positive animals on the landscape are the adult does. So do we need to, you know, keep these age structures of bucks down some? Absolutely. I'm not saying that we we pass all these bucks, but I think that we're doing ourselves a disservice by saying, Hey, let's kill every buck we can because hunters then don't harvest less deer. And we end up in a far worse situation from a disease standpoint and just a deer management standpoint.
0: Right. Yep. And uh, that, that's a good point because then at that, at that point point, you kill all the bucks and the problem just will compound on itself um, with all the does, like you just said on the landscape. So um, that's a good point that uh, people need to be aware about. So is there any, I mean, are, do we know of any progress being made in this field um, as far as CWD is concerned?
1: Sure, um, there, there absolutely is. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot that we still do not know about the disease, but at least we are making gains. And, uh, and there's a lot of research that's going on to look, you know, to figure out exact ways that the deer are transferring it. And, uh, and research on management strategies to help minimize the spread of it. So, so the answer is yes, you know we are advancing. Um, and that's why I said earlier that, man, as hunters, we need to do everything possible that we can to limit the spread of this disease until the science catches up. And, uh, and I firmly believe that the science is going to catch up. Um, as sportsmen and women and, uh, and professional wildlife managers, you know we have battled big issues in the past. Uh, You know, and we we will in the future. This just tends to be the one of the day today. And it is a huge issue. There's no doubt. But I have no doubt that that we can beat this by working together and just limiting the spread of this disease at all costs right now, such that when we do figure out how to to defeat it, that, uh, you know, the disease is not everywhere. And which then would just take that much longer and be that much more difficult to actually snuff out.
0: Right. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. I like exactly how you said that is we need to do our best to, to manage it until science can catch up. And, um, really that's, that's what it feels like we're doing, um, across the nation right now, just making sure we do our part specifically, uh, so that, um, we can, you know, help out scientists. And, um, so that kind of leads me to my next question is what can we as hunters do to help on, um, an individual scale?
1: The two best things are we can, we can support our states uh, stopping the movement of live deer and elk. Um, every time we move a live animal, we, we risk moving the disease because there's not a, a good practical live animal test. The only really good test we have is once the deer is dead. So there are deer moved all the times that appear healthy, that in fact, are not. And, and we stand the chance of moving this disease to a new area. So, we can support the, the movement of, to stop moving live deer, and we can stop moving the high-risk parts of the deer that we shoot. So, as hunters, you know, we have a great responsibility and at least an opportunity from this end. You know, we say at QDMA, when in doubt, bone it out. If you are not sure, you know, if, uh, what the carcass transport regulations are or what you should be doing, you can just bone the meat out from that animal and take that back leave any of the high-risk parts either where they are or preferably be able to put them into a dumpster uh, that will be uh, taken to a landfill. Because if we're not moving those high-risk parts, those are the ones we talked about, you know, the spine, the brain, the lymph nodes, um, then we can limit the movement of this disease. We absolutely have a big opportunity as hunters for that. But uh, I'm sure you know people who you know, bring whole carcasses of deer back from different states and And actually, uh, our editor, Lindsay Thomas, had an article uh, a year or so ago, you know, they looked at the Wisconsin DNR harvest database, you know, in the the core areas of Wisconsin, South Central Wisconsin, where CWD has been the longest. In those core counties, there were hunters from 49 different states that shot a deer in those counties. Uh, The only state that did not was Delaware, but hunters from every other state did. And we know that a lot of those deer left that county and went back to where the people were from. So that is a tremendous disease risk of moving the disease by moving those high-risk parts. So as hunters, hey, let's not take those high-risk parts away from from where we shot them. leave them there unless they're going right to a landfill. And man, that more than anything else can definitely help limit the spread of this disease.
0: Right. And I I believe we've actually talked about that um, on a former episode. It may have been with uh, Lindsey Thomas. I can't remember who it was with. But um, yes, if people go look at that graphic, um, you can see where those hunters are from. And it's not it's not you got to and you know this, you got to read that really carefully because that's not where CWD went to. It's where those hunters were from, where CWD possibly could have gone to. But um, the I, I think if I remember correctly, the interesting thing about that article was that the areas that those hunters came from, the um, the percent chance that a deer had CWD from that area was astronomical. And so those hunters taking those deer back to their states, if in fact they did, um, there was a good chance that they took CWD with them, so I'll, I'll have to link that in our show notes because that's a great um, a great article. I was actually uh, looking at it really briefly last night, and I, I thought about bringing it up, and you sure enough did. But um, it is definitely eye opening, no doubt. So, and, and um, I don't remember with that now. Article, let, with now, let exact, me ask you this.
1: Go ahead. No, with that article, I don't remember the exact number or the percentage that the Wisconsin DNR stated, but. There was a large number of those animals uh, that were never even tested for CWD because uh, the DNR had the data on harvest, knew how many of them were tested. So, you know, a lot of those hunters have no idea. So I'm sure they, that they ate those deer, uh, they took them home, they did different things with them, and uh, you know, some of them might have willfully done that. I bet a lot of them just simply didn't know. So as hunters, you know, we can we can help each other mm-hmm. out as well by just making sure our buddies know what you know what the rules are and you know, what's advised and not advised uh, with respect to CWD.
0: Exactly. And that's why, that's why we're doing this episode right now as well. So um, now you may have already mentioned this, but you had said that um, it's a lot easier to discover and detect CWD in a dead deer. Now, why is it that it is more difficult to detect it in live animals. Is there not a test for it in live animals? Is it just not expressed in those live animals? What What is the reasoning for that?
1: Well, there's a couple tests. Uh, one is a, a basically they remove the tonsils and they can test them there. And then the other is a, is a rectal biopsy where they, they can test them there. So uh, the problem is if the animal is far along in the incubation period, and the person doing the test is really really good at it then they can tell pretty well okay yes this deer this deer has it however there's a lot of user error with those and uh, if, if the person is not really really good at it a lot of times even an animal that has cwd um, will show up as, as not having it. Uh, also just because the, the prions don't accumulate there as quickly as they do the brain stem or the lymph nodes um, which are two places that we test once deer are dead um, because they don't accumulate in the places we test live deer nearly as quickly. Unless the deer is in advanced stages, you just don't pick it up. So a lot of deer can have it and, and we just simply don't know. Uh, also with those tests, neither one of them work uh, especially good on elk. So they work much better on deer, but uh, but not real well on elk. So, so there's just not a lot of uh, um, confidence in testing a deer with a live test and then saying if it says yes well then you're guaranteed it does but if it comes back negative um there's just not a lot of confidence that 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 deer in fact is cwd negative
0: okay yeah that makes that makes complete sense so um so what let me ask you this now we know and you stated that uh, cwd is 100 percent fatal it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when that deer is going to die now is there, are we finding is research indicating that um, deer are i guess developing a resistance and what i mean by that is are they live are we seeing if they're living longer when they contract it or is there really no way to to kind of find that out right now
1: now, deer are not developing a resistance to it. Um, there are some uh, genotypes of deer that, that appear more resistant than others. Um, you know, All animals have, have certain phenotypes and genotypes. Um, the three main genotypes of whitetails, um, one of the three is more resistant than the other two. Uh, and by more resistant, what I mean is they still all die. They just live a few more months before they die. So some look at that as a good thing, Hey, they're living. some look at it as not a good thing, because even any time a deer has CWD in the later stages, it is shedding those prions that can infect other deer. So by those, the, the genotype that does live a little longer, it, what it does is it also sheds a lot more prions, which is enables it to infect a lot of other individuals, you know, that it comes in contact with. So uh, it's kind of a catch-22. Is it good or is it not? I personally think that, hey, if it's living longer, there's something for us to, to learn from that, and, and I look at that as a positive thing. So they're doing a lot of work in with captive deer right now, particularly with that genotype that is more resistant. And in fact, pretty high percentage of, of some captive facilities have that genotype in them. Um, the captive folks tout this as the answer to to CWD. Um, I don't believe that's true because those deer still die. And that specific genotype that's a little more resistant is in the wild as well, but it doesn't survive mother nature very well. Mother nature weeds it out really quickly. So what that means is, yeah, that genotype is a little better at surviving CWD, but it's not nearly as good at surviving mother nature as the other types. So I don't think that's our answer to this. However, I do think that that provides an opportunity for research within this that may uncover the answer. So I think that it's good that there are some genotypes that are a little more resistant. And I think we need to continue researching along those lines because that might be the breakthrough that we're looking for. As of right now, that is not the answer because those deer simply don't survive outside of the fence. But there may be something within that that can, uh, can help our wild deer at some point in the near future.
0: Right, that makes uh, perfect sense. Um, so kind of as we kind of close, um, is there anything else that you think that the audience or the listeners need to know about CWD or EHD for that matter that we have not already touched on?
1: Well, I think with, with hemorrhagic disease, uh, what they need to know is if uh, you find a lot of dead deer in your area. Um, as hunters, we can we can help out by reducing the number of antelope deer that we shoot that fall. Um, you know, if if that's necessary. If you're in an area that has way overabundant deer herds, then that's probably not necessary. But um, you know, if deer herd was was about in balance with the habitat and for whatever reason in your area a lot are dead, you can just back off your antelope harvest for a year, and uh, and that deer herd can be. Can, uh, rebound very quickly. From uh, from a CWD end, um, I firmly believe that this issue is going to take a better working relationship between our, our state wildlife agencies and our hunters than any other that we've dealt with. Um, agencies are recognizing that, and uh, and, I, and I hope that hunters will as well, because uh, our agencies can come up with the best CWD plan on the planet, but it takes hunters to execute it. So, and for hunters to, to execute it, they have to support it. So, that's why I think this is a, is a really good opportunity for hunters and agencies to, to engage and develop even stronger working relationships. And then uh, there's there's going to be some pain along the way. There's no doubt. Uh, some folks have asked me, you oh, know, man, it's a big inconvenience to have to have a deer tested or or take it to a check station for CWD. And the answer to that is they're right. It absolutely is an inconvenience. However, I firmly believe it's an inconvenience that it's worth doing. You know, I want to hunt deer 10 years from now and 20 years from now and I want my kids to be able to hunt deer, you know, fifty and sixty years from now. So, it is it inconvenience? It sure is, but uh, it's one that's well worth doing, uh, you know, in the name of, of whitetails uh, and our future hunting opportunities.
0: For sure, that, that's a good point. And I was I was gonna say um, for people who want to help, that's one way they can do it. Also, is by taking, especially especially if you're in a CWD zone, um, to take those deer to a designated location by your state agency and get those tested, you know, hold off on eating the meat until you get those results back. Um, But, and and for for that matter, in areas that aren't CWD zones or may not have, um, you know, CWD uh, yet um, and hopefully they won't, but they can definitely be on the lookout for deer that um, are acting sick and acting funny um that's definitely the the obvious way to do it um and uh you know i don't know you might be able to speak to this but in states like georgia where cwd hasn't uh been found or discovered yet you know are there ways can we get our deer checked are they doing deer checks yet or are they primarily just doing um spot checks here and there
1: well, every state is a little different. So uh, wherever hunters may be, the, the best way to find that out is, is to just contact your state wildlife agency. Um, the, so the short answer is yes, any hunter has an opportunity to get a deer tested. Um, if you're not in a disease zone where the state is paying for those, you may have to pay for it. But there are at least some of those tests available. But uh, the state wildlife agencies are the, the perfect resource to ask that because they can let you know exactly where you can have one tested. What the procedures are within that state, and then uh, give you an estimate of how long you'd have to wait for those results.
0: Right. Yep. Great point. And um, like you said, uh, it's definitely it can it can be an inconvenience, but for the for the future and for the long run of whitetail hunting and whitetails, um, it's it's well worth it. So, um, all right. Well, as we finish up, uh, just transition to a couple. Uh, just really. Uh, brief questions, but um, Kip, what is your favorite uh, venison recipe?
1: oh i'm a, I'm a simple guy. Uh, actually I like venison about any way that you can prepare it as long as it's not overcooked. but uh, my favorite by far is uh, is a backstrap steak uh, extremely medium rare uh, down on the grill. so uh, I've, I've had venison uh, probably fifty different ways and uh, and I love them all, but uh, there is nothing that'll make my mouth water like a, like a backstrap steak uh, done just right over an open fire.
0: That sounds good. Yep. That, that it's hard to beat that. No doubt. All right. What is uh what is your favorite hunting resource? Um, and yes, you're welcome to say QDMA if, if, but if you have another one, uh, that, that is good too.
1: Absolutely. QDMA is definitely my go-to resource. Um, some folks think that, you know, we provide some, you know, some habitat info and that, but uh, they realize, you know, we have all kinds of, of hunting-specific uh, information available. You know, videos on shot placement, videos on how to age jaw bones, all kinds of hunting tactics. Um, we are connected with the most of the top deer researchers in the country, which means we have an inside look at, you know, the ones studying how deer see, how deer hear, how deer move on the landscape. So uh, we turn all of that stuff over into articles and information specifically to help hunters get a little closer in the fall so uh, yeah there's no doubt qdma is is my uh definite go-to for hunting information
0: that's good that's good so now did you just get finished with a deer steward class did i see that somewhere
1: we did uh we taught our uh, our our last deer steward course of the year and uh here uh, a week and a half ago um in, in southern ohio and uh it was a pretty monumental one because it was our 50th class that we've taught. So, uh, we, uh, we had a good time.
0: That's awesome. Well, very cool. So if people want to find out more about, uh, Dear Stewart, if they want to find more out about CWD, EHD, um, and everything QDMA, where can they go?
1: They can go to our website, which is QDMA.com. Um, all kinds of free information there for folks uh, with whatever aspect of uh, deer, deer hunting, deer management, uh, anything deer, um, we have at qdma.com. So they can go there and grab it for free.
0: Awesome. Sounds good. Well, Kip, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. Hopefully, um, this has been educational for people and uh, just kind of been eye opening too at the same time so that as. Deer season commences here in the next couple weeks, if it hasn't already that people can be on the lookout for these different uh, diseases, excuse me, that we've talked about. So thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Absolutely. Nathan, my pleasure. And uh, good luck to you uh, this fall. Uh, Have a safe and productive season. All right, folks. Thanks
0: again for listening to another episode of the whitetail guru hunting podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Before we kick this thing off, let's, um, let me just say that if you guys haven't gone over to our Facebook group yet, hunting and fishing the South, um, be sure to go over there um, or if you want to add some friends to it we're going to be just sharing uh, what people are seeing, what they're harvesting, uh, etc. so um, also if you haven't yet, please uh, go over to iTunes, leave us a rating or review, and subscribe um, because as we go throughout the deer season. Uh, We're going to be just launching these podcasts as often as possible, Um, hopefully a couple a week. Uh, We'll see. But um, yeah, if you guys go over and do that, that'd be great. So I hope you guys are getting ready for deer season. Good luck and good hunting.